0: Up, mr. Scott <laughs> permission to come aboard sir Welcome to Now Playing's Star Trek Retrospective series. We here at Now Playing will be reviewing all of the previous installments of the Star Trek movie franchise, going at warp speed towards the new J.J. Abrams Star Trek movie, coming to theaters May 8th, 2009. Bringing you the perspective of a Star Trek novice, a casual Star Trek movie fan, and a former hardcore Trekker, we will be providing spoiler-filled critiques of this long-running movie franchise. Today we're talking about Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, starring William Shatner, Letter Nimoy, DeForest Kelly, and directed by William Shatner. This is Brock, co-host of Now Playing...
1: Stuart in LA and Arnie, co-host of Star Wars Action News, the Star Wars Collecting podcast that you can find at swactionnews.com, also host of Republic Forces Radio Network, the Star Wars Clone Wars animated series commentary podcast that you can find at republicforces.com, and host of the Star Wars Action News Book Club, the podcast where we look at all of the Star Wars Expanded Universe novels which you can also find at swactionnews.com. Happy to be here at Now Playing
0: fantastic
1: so <laughs> would you like my resume too
0: yes please can you can you type <laughs> so this is the star trek movie this is the black sheep if you will the red-headed stepchild of the star trek movies
1: i will agree with you in so much as you are referring to the ones starring the original cast as far as fandom goes This one is only the most maligned among the original cast movies. There is one Next Generation movie that is at least a contender for Most Hated.
2: Oh, Oh, hell no. Don't tell me I got to sit through something worse than Star Trek (laughs) V. Because I've only seen through six. Yeah, I didn't like this one back in the 80s.
0: We'll see about that when we get to that movie. Arnie, why don't we start with a plot summary? So, when we
1: ended Star Trek IV, the entire crew had reunited... Kirk was a captain again, and they'd just gotten the brand spanking new NCC-1701A Enterprise. Problem is, it's the hooptie of Starfleet. (laughs) Even the doors don't work. And so, instead of going out and exploring the galaxy, everyone goes on shore leave but Scotty, who's left to fix the lemon. No, don't forget Uhura. Uhura chooses to stay as well. (laughs) (laughs) She's got a little crush thing going on. They got jungle fever. (laughs) (laughs)
2: and bags of chips he is all that and a bag of chips literally
1: But then in the neutral zone where Klingons Romulans and humans have decided to try to build a paradise planet in peace a Vulcan who we find out is Spock's half-brother his brother from another mother who has embraced emotion takes the planet hostage and of course Kirk is the only experienced captain it's not that the enterprise is the only ship this time it's that Kirk is the only captain experienced enough to go deal with this situation in the neutral zone but rather than giving him one of the functional ships in the sector. They send him out with the hoopty and a skeleton crew to go deal with this in the neutral zone. It turns out that it was all a plot and the Vulcan named Cybok has brainwashed or converted. He's kind of like a televangelist and he's gotten all of his hostages to go his way. He hijacks the Enterprise to go into the center of the galaxy, which is like a Tootsie Roll pop. It's got a chewy center with a great barrier around it that must be (laughs) breached. And when they get to the Tootsie Roll center of the galaxy, they find what Cybok believes to be god but fooled you it's actually just an alien in a (laughs) intergalactic prison who's really pissed off and wants to hijack the hoopty and kirk barely escapes with the aid of some klingons who went there to kill him it's all too convoluted to even bother explaining (laughs) and (laughs) credits roll with row 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 your (laughs) boat
0: all right so yeah let's just start the beginning i gotta say the movie starts on that desolate planet Nimbus 3 with the Vulcan talking to that guy who's right out of Mad Max movies and I loved the starkness I loved the way it was shot as the scene went on we see the Vulcan in the credits roll I thought that first scene was like oh interesting
1: okay I could not agree with you more because I I will go in and I will state my bias I really dreaded watching this movie again it was the first one I'd seen in theaters it was coming out right when my Trechium was in full force, and I saw it multiple times in theaters. I saw it like seven times in theaters.
0: Oh, my God. Yeah. He did.
1: I saw them on your third attempt. I was the first one to tell you it was a bad movie. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm sitting here watching this again, dreading it, and I think, my God, this opening scene really is well done. It's atmospheric. It pulls me in. Yeah. Yeah. I was a little bit scratching my head on the horse, but then I said, you know, there's humans there. Why couldn't they take a horse with them? And then I saw the horse had like a, a spike coming out of its head, kind of like a mean unicorn. So it <laughs> was an alien horse. And we all know Shatner's big into horses. Right. And so that's why there's horses if you want a real reason. I went with it in that, you know, if you're colonizing a planet, why wouldn't you take a workhorse? You know what I had instantly a feeling for is classic Westerns. It
2: really reminded me of like the Man With No Name trilogy, Sergio Leone, Something you'd see in The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. It's a classic kind of setup. A man is drilling holes in the ground in the middle of nowhere, and this stranger rolls in off a horseback. And I really thought, oh, wow, they're bringing Trek back kind of to its roots. Because the way Star Trek the series has always been described to me was that it was kind of gun smoke in space. The selling line that
1: Roddenberry used was it was wagon train to the stars.
2: There you go. So I thought it was very interesting we were going to see one make a direct reference to the Western genre. I was totally with the scene until he pulls back his hood and you find out it's a Vulcan and he starts doing the Jolly Green Giant laugh. And I was like, hey, <laughs> what, what's funny? Did I miss something about the fact that him being a Vulcan has anything to do with anything? Yeah. And from that point on, I felt like it was a long ride down.
0: You know, what's interesting about you saying it's a long ride down from that point on, the next scene is Kirk McCoy and Spock in Yosemite. <laughs> and they're climbing the mountain. And as I said last podcast, how it clearly is a water tank. It's clearly <laughs> not Shatner climbing the mountain. Not until the dialogue happens in that scene do I really start going off. Because <laughs> I didn't mind watching the Mission Impossible 2 opening. I didn't really mind Spock floating up there with the boots. I mean, and is it just me or is McCoy becoming more and more like Ralph Furley every movie? This time he actually had the bandana tied around his neck. But not until the banter and the lines and the dialogue between the three guys at Yosemite did I really start to see the movie just... Whoa. I think that
1: what happened here, you're talking about the humor of this opening scene. The humor is pervasive throughout the movie, and it's bad. It is bad. And what happened, I'm sure, is somebody went, Star Trek IV was our biggest hit, and it was funny, so let's ramp up the yucks. Definitely. (laughs) Yes. Let me give you some lines. Someone said that, and that someone was Shatner. Let me give you some of the lines that I wrote down while watching this movie. You don't seem to understand the gravity of the situation. Mind if we drop in for dinner? (laughs) All right, we're lost, but we're making good time. I could use a shower. Yes. I miss my old chair.
0: I liked that one, actually. I remember that one.
1: I liked him better before he died. You must be one with the rock. And you must be one with the horse. And the final one, I know this ship like the back of my hand, thunk.
0: They also use the Nobody's Perfect punchline. That's the third Trek movie they use that, that we've watched so far.
1: And the whole thing sounds like a setup for a joke. I mean, Nimbus 3, a Romulan, a Klingon, and a human walk into a bar.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I felt like there was something almost meta about this opening scene. Here you have William Shatner trying to climb a mountain by himself. Seizing the drains of the directing job. And then you have Linda Nimoy floating in effortlessly next to him saying, I don't really think you can do this. And Shatner is like, I don't know what you're saying. And then he falls to his death, except that Spock saves him right before he splats. And I thought, you can't make a better metaphor for this entire experience than this horrible, horrible
1: scene. Only Nimoy did not grab Shatner's ankle. (laughs) He tries, but uh, yeah, even Spock can't save this one. In this opening, when they're camping, Spock, in the classic thing, decides to roast some marshmallows.
2: (laughs) Now, I just want to say, by the way, uh, I don't know if you remember this tie-in, Arnie, but Kraft Marshmallows was actually selling that little thing. If you sent away for, like, how many, I don't know how many marshmallows I I ate. It was three proofs of purchase and I had two. Wow.
0: <laughs>
2: they never sent mine. I just was about to bitch out craft and say you never sent me my marshmallow dispenser.
1: But it held, uh... like- marshmallows <laughs> but spock has been a lot of things and always a stranger to human society but he was never a tard he no. knew his language
2: <laughs> all i know is when they will pull out the bourbon and the beans and the marshmallows i'm like is this going to turn into blazing saddles i literally was <laughs> waiting for the fart joke and they would have been better jokes than the jokes that got told you know, one one little thing I wanted to ask, though, it gets uh, one of the insults that's always hurled at Spock, Bones does again, uh, is that he's a green-blooded mutant. Have we ever seen Spock bleed? I don't yep. ever remember seeing the and green it's blood. Green.
1: It, it was in the original series. There's an episode where he's getting lashed and it's green blood. Oh, OK. Yeah. So that's not just
2: a derogatory term for an alien. He really does have green blood. Yep. OK.
0: Well, I also found cringeworthy, like, was the Walton's good nights part of that camping scene. Goodnight, Spock. Good night. Kirk. Yeah. Yeah, That That was pretty bad for me. And then, of course, the the pinnacle of the we have to mention now, I'm thinking because this is where it first comes up, is you just said a second ago that he doesn't know what marshmallows are named. He also never heard of Row, Row, Row Your Boat. But I want to say, Arnie, that I did notice that during that scene, on my 20th century kicks on Star Trek, they mentioned Camptown Races, Row, Row Your Boat, and Moon Over Rigel Seven. So they did throw in a future thing for me right there. They were thinking of yeah, they're you. Yeah, they are thinking of me.
2: Oh, you don't know say Moon me. Over Rigel Seven? No.
0: Can you sing a couple of bars of Moon Over Rigel Seven for oh, me? Oh, it's great.
1: <laughs> moon <Yeah>. Over Rigel <laughs> Seven.
0: <laughs> yeah, <it's,
1: clears throat> I'm a little hoarse. I can't, I can't do the rest. Now, let's talk briefly about the coming up of the other characters. We've got Chekhov and Sulu camping alone together. Yes. <laughs> they didn't go with the rest.
0: Yes. True. That
1: was a little weird. <laughs> And I have to say, I don't like the joke we're lost, but we're making good time, but yet because, again, I saw this movie seven times in theaters and many more times on video, I actually use that line often when my wife and I are driving places.
2: It's a better joke than, oh, we're caught in a blizzard and and blowing into the communicator uh, like they're in a storm. I mean, if you're going to camp in the middle of summer in Yosemite, truly, guys, come up with a better one. I mean, I don't get that.
1: You know, I was just happy to see Sulu at all. Was he in this movie? Once again, he got the short end of the Stick. Everyone else gets their scene. Chekhov takes over the ship. Uhura does a new dance. <laughs> So, jailbreak and Sulu. He's piloting the ship. He's calling his agent. Is what he's doing. <laughs>
2: yeah, no Can't kidding. It's another convention. I need out of this.
0: You know, I gotta say, also though, the idea of Nimbus Three, the beginning of peace between the three races. That element of the plot, and only that element of the plot, I liked. I thought that was an interesting idea. I
2: think it's a red herring. Like most of this plot, nothing really comes of consequence, and I. I agree with you it kind of reminded me like the yalta conference it's like oh it's all these people getting together that would never in any other way get together that was a neat idea and the irony that it was on a barren waste planet that was actually kind of a crap hole uh yes. that was also i thought kind of clever i was kind of with it and yeah. then then we get to the bar and there is a cat <laughs> doing some kind of prance
0: with three boobs <laughs> a three-boobed <laughs> cat lady
1: And I knew I wanted to beam off as quickly as possible. In the novelization, which I haven't read since the 80s, but I remember well, it was said that this was the great experiment, but it had failed. And they were taking the drunkards of each society's military and throwing them there, which is why you have that Peter O'Toole looking guy and the David David Warner the drunk Klingon, and the Romulan chick who shows up, she was supposed to actually be like a up-and-coming go-getter. Not that these characters have any development in the actual screenplay, but in the book, it was like she was there to do some good and comes there and finds these drunk, fat, lazy slobs.
0: Can you explain to me what a Romulan is compared to a Vulcan or a human? What makes them Romulan? Like, What is their facial or physical whatever?
1: They are descended from the same species. They are cousins. But the Vulcans Vulcans. embraced logic, whereas the Romulans went off and embraced a very militaristic uh, Spartan lifestyle. And so the Romulans are very war-oriented, very conquering, but they do have emotions, whereas the Vulcans are the science.
0: Okay, but how can you pick out a Romulan from a proverbial lineup?
1: Well, in the next generation, they have more pronounced eyebrows They have kind of an eyebrow ridge. In the original series, they looked virtually identical.
0: To what? To Vulcans. So they have pointy ears? Yes, they have pointy ears. She looked like Tia Carrera to me. I I didn't even know if she was a Romulan or a human.
1: Yeah, she was supposed to be a Romulan, but that never pays off anyway, because the Klingons go to Nimbus 3, the Federation goes to Nimbus 3, the Romulans, they're never in this movie again. You could have just been a Klingon human neutral zone. There didn't need to be a Romulan there at all. That said, getting back to what you were talking about it's a very cynical setup
2: and i think that's what surprised me about it was that i was like star trek doesn't usually have this kind of cutting misanthropic quality like oh we created a planet of peace and it ends up being a dump you know you would think that he would be much more utopian in that conception i have to ask it didn't really look from the credits like he was very
1: involved in this movie do you know arnie how involved roddenberry was Not only did I read the novelization of this when this movie came out, I read the Making of book written by William Shatner's daughter. And I remember one thing specifically from that Making of book. Roddenberry didn't even know the movie was being made until it was well into production. (laughs) And he was kind of mad about that.
2: Yeah, if you notice the credits, I think the only bill that they give him is he is the creator of the characters. They do not even have some of the token executive producer credits that they've given him in the past.
1: Before he died, he talked about how he considered part of this movie to be apocryphal and just denied its existence in his Star Trek
2: that's one more thing that me and Gene Roddenberry have in
1: common
0: (laughs) why would they use the opening theme at this time Next Generation was on the air for a couple of years why use the opening theme to Next Generation as the opening for this movie when they haven't been using it since Star Trek 1 they got the composer back.
2: And they don't have any money. Have you seen this thing? You guys have bitched about the special effects from the first movie. <laughs> but I would like to stick it to you guys. I have defended every damn one of them in the visuals up until this point. But this, oh my god.
1: This Can wouldn't I... have held up in the in the 60s show where effects were better than this. Let me tell you something. You remember me, Stuart, back when this movie came out, right? Yes, I was the biggest Trek apologist around, right? When I saw this movie in theaters the first time, my heart sank <laughs> because I couldn't <laughs> not know how cheap it looked how the Klingon vessel uses stop-motion animation, the likes of which I hadn't seen since Boo-Boo the Owl in Clash of the Titans. (laughs) Hey, don't go dissing Boo-Boo. I love Boo-Boo. He's much better than than this crap. (laughs) Apparently this movie was kind of rushed and there was a writer's strike just before it. ILM was too busy with Back to the Future 2 and 3 and the uh, Indiana Jones 3 movies, and so ILM didn't do this, and they hired another other company. And in some of the reading I've done, I saw that the guy who ran that company has actually said that he didn't care about the quality of the effects work so long as he got paid. (laughs) Farm it out to the interns. It really felt like that. Oh yeah. This one looks so cheap. It's It's pathetic for back then. I knew it when I saw it then. I just couldn't stop looking at how bad the effects were. And here's what's funny. You know, they've done the director's cuts of one and two. Shatner went to Paramount and said, let me redo some effects on five. And Paramount just went, no.
0: (laughs) I remember reading that yeah but you know that one really stands out to me beyond anything else was when they're in the elevator shaft later in the movie you know Spock's in the boots and the two of them are hanging on the Spock he's on a rod or something right
1: if he isn't then the cinematographer should be shot for shooting be him shot. so that it looks like there's a groove right behind him where a platform yes. or some kind of harness would attach and
2: not I mean, only that I thought they had beamed the three stooges on board I mean literally in that moment I'm
1: like Spock does <laughs> look like Mo I was like how did it really become this let me just say though i found this interesting when i was doing research for this i didn't know about this is that at the end shatner was supposed to fight a giant rock monster this is something (laughs) they put in galaxy quest 10 years later (laughs) yes (laughs) that uh monster but here shatner was supposed to fight a rock monster they actually shot some footage of a guy in a rubber rock suit (laughs) 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 wow bad that they just (laughs) skipped it (laughs) wow i want to see that suit oh that's priceless yeah the whole thing is so cheap when the rocks come out of the earth when they reach the god planet look just as bad as the genesis planet breaking up in star trek 3 just as bad
2: it looked worse i'm telling you i haven't seen effects this bad in any of the previous movies and i really think that you guys have to admit this is the shoddiest star
1: trek just visually that we've ever seen Can I tell you what I think some of the problem is? And this is just my summation of what I've read having reviewed these five movies back history. You know, when they were making Star Trek The Motion Picture, they'd done stuff for Star Trek Phase 2, the TV series. When they decided it was going to be a movie, they said, well, crap, all the stuff we did, we did for TV resolution. We need to tear it down and make it so it's good enough for theater. For Star Trek 5 to save money, they shot on the next generation's television sets. (gasps) And they did- Minor redresses on certain sets, with the exception of the bridge. The bridge was new, but the sick bay was directly the sick bay. The conference room was Data's bedroom, I think. And knowing that for part one, they said this isn't going to look good on film because it's made for TV. That's what we have here is we have TV sets in a film.
2: So, eventually, all of this nonsense about the, the peace planet and all of this, we finally figure out about, you know, an hour in that this is all just a ruse so that Cybok can take command of a starship. And it just so happens that Spock is also on the starship, and he's a half-brother, and Spock has the opportunity to kill this man and save the ship. But he doesn't because they are half-brothers. Now, this is a man that we watched go into a nuclear reactor and kill himself so that he could save everyone on the ship, but he is not going to kill Cybok? Is that logical? Did
1: anyone see the logic? (laughs) He could no more kill him than he could kill you. I could kill all of them in that moment that's ridiculous (laughs) well i think what happened in star trek 4 is spock embraced his humanity part the entire series spock was a conflicted character fighting to repress his human emotions by the time we get to the end of part four he goes you know what this is who i am spock was finally self-actualized and so spock is no longer a pure vulcan at that time he is half human, and so it was the human side that didn't pull the trigger. I don't know why I'm apologizing for this movie. I take all that. (laughs) (laughs) It
0: really aggravated
1: me. That
2: was the part of the movie where I really got aggravated. Not that I hadn't already been guffawing and heckling and kind of enjoying it as as a cheesy movie. Now I was angered by the betrayal of the character. I just felt like you have a character that always makes logic-based decisions, is ready to sacrifice himself or anyone for the greater good, and then we have this Cybot coming out of nowhere who is a bad egg and he can't even
1: put him down with stun phasers in that defense it was a rock gun it's what that mad max guy has on nimbus 3 it shoots rocks it is not a phaser so it would be kill your brother it would not be stun your brother all right. right
2: fair enough that was the part of the movie where i was really taken out i was kind of enjoying it as a b movie and from that point on i didn't think it was funny bad i wasn't having a good time this movie was miserable
0: and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to one-up you on that one, Stuart. For me, what got me from the enjoying it because it's so bad, it's fun to watch, to the I can't believe they're going here, was Cyborg's extra power of brainwashing. I do not like brainwashing plots. In fact, I would go so far as saying I hate brainwashing plots because when they have the three peace people, Romulan, Klingon, and the human, and I'm like, why are they going along with Cyborg? And then they explain it when he gets on the ship, and then Sulu and Uhura get in on it too, and then they had that whole scene with Spock and McCoy's backstories we'll probably talk about that in a second I hate brainwashing I think it's a cheap way out and I find it really annoying that they went there so as soon as I saw it was brainwashing I'm like I'm done I can't give this movie any more chances to make it fun for me and then it still keeps getting worse and worse after that
2: yeah essentially it's maybe a little bit more complicated in brainwashing in that I think what you're supposed to take away from it is that Saiba can literally suck the pain out of you and you are so elated by the feeling of euphoria that you kind of fall in love with him and will do whatever he says because he took away your pain. And so we have Spock reliving some birth trauma and Bones, you know, watching his father die again. Also, that we can have this very indulgent scene, yet another one, I should add, of Kirk grandstanding and saying, I need my pain. Well, you got it. It's painful.
0: So we see Spock's death and birth in this series. How interesting. I didn't mind the bones scene as much as I minded the Spock one. I thought it was extremely melodramatic, and it kind of felt like ER in a bit. But on the other hand... I mean, if you want to be apologetic to the Bones character, it does explain some reasons why he's so bitter and things like that. It's the Superman defense, you know, all those things I can do, all those powers and I couldn't even save them that they even bring up in Attack of the Clones with Anakin. It's the same kind of thing. I can say people's lives, but I can't say the lives of the people I love. And that's probably a, a strong burden to bear, but it wasn't done well yes. in, the, in the movie. Correct. So it fell, ultimately fell false, but an interesting idea for that being the reasons McCoy, part of the reason McCoy such a bitter, bitter man.
2: Oh, yes. Let me be clear. I didn't have a problem with that as a dramatic device. I had a problem with the way it was staged, watching it. These dreary long scenes. It was boring. I mean, this movie ground to a halt after uh, Cybok gets on the ship.
1: I think that this entire movie is a series of dominoes of moments where it gets worse. I mean, we... We started this podcast saying that scene with the horse at the beginning, we really (laughs) had promise. And I have little notes here of moments when I thought things went bad. And it's like I wrote at the one hour mark, we find out at a full hour into the movie, Cybok is Spock's brother. Although it really started with, as Stuart mentioned, the inane laugh for no reason. That was the first doubt. It
2: really was the first clue
1: that this movie was a little unhinged. And then it ends at 75 minutes, we realize they're going to find god. not <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's just uh, continually gets worse every step, and it's just you think that it can't get worse, and it does!
2: Yeah, it, it is like a sinkhole in that way. Not only is not satisfying to watch, but you wonder from a plot standpoint. Each reveal makes the last thing you've been watching unimportant. First, it's like, oh, Cybok is taking over the peace planet. Oh, well, that doesn't matter, because he really just wants to get on the Enterprise. But that doesn't really matter, because he really just wants to go talk to God. You know, but there's Klingons following him, but that doesn't matter because they don't catch up until the last five minutes. I mean, it just is continuously cutting the dramatic tension and making you feel like all of it is a MacGuffin. Everything did not matter because there's nothing of consequence
1: that really happens here at all. Now, because we're talking about the God bit, I think it's time to talk about God. Mm, All right. Because I read that Making of book back then, I do know something else. In Shat original vision they went to find god capital g god Mm -hmm. And when they get (laughs) there they find what they believe to be god much like in this movie but it turns out to actually be lucifer (laughs) (laughs) i love it i love it and it was paramount who went perhaps we shouldn't put christian deities into star (laughs) trek why don't we just make him an alien Mm. Now, never mind that in the original series, they actually had literal Greek gods. I think they actually had, like, Adonis or one of them. But, you know, this was a totally different time than the 60s, and a much bigger budget thing than an episode of a hokey series.
2: I'm trying to imagine how you would deal with that dramatically. The crew of the Enterprise and Cybok fighting Lucifer. What could that even have been? I'm wondering about the contracts, and, and Kirk had his contract that he got to direct, but you do really wonder at what point they're, like, calling the lawyers and being like, can't we just scrap <laughs> this movie? Can't we fire him? Yeah. Is and there's someone else we could get, just like send him on lunch and have Nimoy step in and direct a few scenes. How can we fix this? Because it's so clear that many of these movies' problems originated from a directorial uh, lack of decision.
1: And what's really funny is what I've read in Wikipedia now is he went off to go do another movie, and when he came back, there had been some extreme rewrites.
0: Mm. Oh, you're kidding me. So this could have been worse. Yes. If that's possible. <laughs> Holy cow. William Shatner was in another movie?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Continuing God. I remember a joke that Stuart and I made back then, and I, when I'm watching it, I couldn't help but think about it. At the end, when God is angry and shooting lightning from his eyeballs, doesn't he kind of become like Eddie Murphy's impersonation of Bill Cosby? <laughs> <laughs>
2: I'm going to get you and a jello pudding pop. <laughs> it was uh, the worst impersonation of God or an alien I've seen in quite some time.
0: I don't understand why Captain Kirk figured out that God doesn't need a spaceship. Where <laughs> the hell was Spock's logic centers? Uh, what's going on there? I thought Nimoy
2: really checked out of this movie. I mean, I literally thought the man had had a stroke or something. He is so not present in this movie, and I don't know whether it's because he feels like the directing job gets taken from him or that this movie is really terrible and I'm going to be embarrassed. I don't know why, but I know that Spock is a logic-based character that, you know, he deadpans a lot. But, I mean, this to me felt like there was a rhythm that was off. Like I said, like he had had a stroke. I was worried for him. I don't know why he couldn't figure that out. And I don't know why they put him behind a Klingon gun turret. Who knew?
1: Yeah, why did he have to shoot the gun? Apparently, that Klingon, who I do want to talk about, Claw, was a great marksman. He shot a tiny little satellite. Couldn't he shoot the big god? He was too busy getting scolded. So speaking of Claw, was he just on hiatus from touring with Kiss? <laughs> 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 yes. Was Ace Freely playing that part? Actually, that part was played by an actor who we've previously seen in Friday the 13th Part 5. He was Neil in that movie. He's, oh, very oh. memorable. It was Neil? I don't know. I hoped you did. I thought with the teased hair and the sleeveless outfit, this is the first movie to be made after the next generation and the next generation evolved Klingons by making the main characters and showing more of them. But man, this whole Klingon thing, it really felt like a bad eighties hair band to me.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And there was no motivation yeah. for the Klingon. I mean, in the next generation series, the Klingons became so in depth characters. They really built a culture around them that fans could lionize here. He's shooting a satellite and just goes to pick a fight with the Enterprise for no reason. He doesn't even go for Kirk, which I could understand because in part four, we know the Klingons got a beef with Kirk. But he's going to Nimbus going, they'll send something and I'll blow it up. It is the weakest characterization for a villain in the entire Star Trek saga.
0: But he's really not a villain. It's a kind of a throwaway, not really used thread in the movie. It doesn't make any sense. Why even have him in there at all? You really don't need him there. They fix him at the end when he finally does decide to show up. The villain, quote unquote, of this movie would have to be Cybok. If anyone's a villain. I'd
1: say that there are multiple. I would say that Kla is a villain. He's not the villain. God or or whatever that alien is is a villain cybok is a villain albeit an unwilling villain he kind of thinks of himself as a hero yeah is
2: a villain he's just a bad one i mean it would have been so easy i guess with with some money to have a battle before the ship passes into the great barrier You know, we know that they're being followed by a Klingon would have been too much during all those boring scenes of everyone having the pain sucked out of them to suddenly be under attack by the Klingon. Would that have killed them to give us a little oomph there? But no, he literally follows them past this supposed impermeable barrier. Like, this is supposedly something that no one has ever penetrated. Now two ships do it and come back, no problem.
0: Is the Great Barrier brought up in other Star Trek lore, Arnie, or is this the first time we're hearing about it?
1: I think this is the first time we hear about it. I believe there is like a wall at the outside of the galaxy, but I don't think they ever broached the center of the galaxy.
0: They bring up earlier in the movie also, Cybox said, and I have written down because I don't think this is actually true, but Cybox says Columbus proved the world was round, and I don't think he did, I think he Found America because the world, and I don't know. You're right. It was
1: Galileo was who first realized by observing
0: shadows on the moon that Earth was round. Right. The reason I even brought that up was could it be tied into Columbus in that people thought that? If you go far enough, you'll fall off the edge of the earth. And so the Great Barrier is, quote unquote, the end of the earth.
1: They said they'd sent in probes and nothing had returned.
0: But I just felt that whole thing about the Great Barrier.
1: I'm just saying if if Columbus had a probe, he could have sent it to America and it would have come back.
0: The Great Barrier reminded me of the Snorks.
1: (laughs) Oh my god. It just
0: reminded me of it. I'm not saying it's a good analogy. Why? Right,
2: because it's so incredibly lame? Yeah, it's pretty... It's pretty. <laughs> wow! I, I got to tell you, I had a lot of bad trips on this movie, but I did not go back to Snorks, even at its worst, which I would say was Aurora doing a fan dance on a desert 52 years too late. That even then, I did not think it had hit snorks depths. But do tell how how like snorks? For those that don't know, uh, I, because I don't think they lived long in pop cultural memory, snorks were a ripoff of smurfs that had little um, breathing tubes on their heads because I think they were underwater. Yeah, and,
0: underwater uh, yeah. and the only reason I thought it was like because I somewhere in the vague recesses of my brain. There was a story about, like, the Great Reef or something. You can't go beyond the Great Reef. It's, like, beyond the limits, the outer limits, whatever. And I would not
2: county. put it past Shatner to be
1: ripping off Schnorr. <laughs> 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 Listen, you know, it, it, it's so much of nothing and everything, Brock. Anything you want us think it's reaching towards, it <laughs> probably is. And anything it tried to do, it didn't. Yeah, you know, it was boldly go. going where no man has gone before. You know, yeah. it was whatever you want it to be. Mm-hmm.
0: Fair enough. Fair
2: enough. I had a Raiders flashback. If I felt like this ending was built about anything, it kind of had the like we finally gathered to have the big answers revealed, like opening the ark. We're gonna finally meet God in this blinding light, and it ends up killing the man who you know. It's sort of the a theme that if you go staring into the sun, you'll go blind, and uh, Cybot gets his comeuppance because. He had the gall to try and and meet God.
0: So what you're saying is that all of us would be better if we didn't look at it, keep our eyes shut— Don't look directly at this movie. Yeah, I
2: feel like that is a theme that we see a lot in science fiction movies and movies where characters, you know, stare into the precipice. Science is dangerous. Not so much Star Trek, because Star Trek really does take a positive view of technology. But in a a lot of uh, more pessimistic science fiction movies, it's a common theme to say, boy, if you really ask these questions, you're opening up a can of worms and you're going to pay for it.
0: Right. Okay. sure.
1: Now, I have one logistics question, and I, I'm sorry to be asking a logical question about an illogical movie, mm. but in Star Trek Four, Kirk was demoted to captain, but Spock was a captain. Who's the captain of the ship? Are there two captains?
2: I think we all know who wears the pants in this outfit, and it's unfortunate that
1: it's Kirk.
0: Yeah, I, I think he's a captain, but clearly Spock will defer to Kirk.
1: Imagine if you're an ensign on this ship, and you're like, we have two captains? That's like my two dads.
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> just like my two just dads. exactly That's what That's what I I like my thinking. two dads exactly yes with the colorful pants they they actually do talk about that don't they and um when he's an admiral and spock gives him the cap is an
1: admiral yes captain spock defers to the senior ranking officer here there's no senior ranking officer
0: well maybe he's a senior captain because he was a captain longer they should have promoted yeah. commodore commodore <laughs>
2: It's weird that they have the same rank because clearly as actors, as directors, as characters, they are not on the same level. And it's just kind of funny to me that it's always been Kirk as the star, and yet he is in many ways the most obnoxious, loathsome element of the series. If this movie makes one point abundantly clear, it's much more upsetting to watch uh, die than the prospect of watching Kirk get killed.
0: So why is this movie called The Final Frontier?
2: It could have been the last one. It they, should have been the last one.
1: They talked about it for a couple different ones. I think they said that part two was supposed to be called The Undiscovered Country. They're at a loss
0: for titles. My question is, they're just using arbitrary titles now? Yeah, that's what I'm saying, is they're just just pulling
1: them. They're just pulling them, you know, they they got it lying around. The next generation was out there. It was the heir apparent. Honestly, this was going to be the last original cast Trek movie because it did so abysmally. The only reason we got another original cast movie was because the 25th anniversary of Trek was rolling around, Paramount wanted something to capitalize on it, and the next generation was too successful to tear down to make into a movie. And so that was the only reason we got part 6 so at the time I remember thinking this is the last one but if this one had been kick-ass, nobody would have been calling for their
2: heads. We were still wanted that, that old generation in the movies. Next Generation, very cool. I did watch the series, but it was TV. And when you went to the movies, you wanted to see the original cast. But this movie did a great job of making you feel like, wow, they need to be put out to pasture. It's too mm-hmm. It's too long. They looked feeble. They looked foolish. They looked like they needed to go back to the Genesis planet because... <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) it's just too long in the tooth
1: let me just say fan dance i'm telling you that fan dance just made me i mean i knew that should not have happened i read a quote from one of the writers who said that he went to one of the producers and said what if we have uhura do a sultry dance to disarm the enemies and the writer was shocked as hell when the producer said sure (laughs) (laughs) but how do you feel it was when they went to the shell nichols and said (laughs) we're signing you up and you're gonna be naked
2: she used to do this. I mean, Cab Calloway, I mean, she was, you know, a Harlem Club dancer. She's not unprecedented that she would have done this. But did she have to be naked? I think is the question. Everyone likes to see, you know, an old timer pull out their moves and show them what they got. But this this had to be one of the most embarrassing screen dances I think I've
0: ever seen. I was embarrassed for her, but... Stuart, I don't know about you, but I don't really want to see some old-timers pull out their moves, man. Me
1: either. Me either. The I'm old-timers can put the moves away. I want to see the young ones. I'm not sure that was Nichelle Nichols' thighs either. But, I am. Uh,
0: I am. <laughs> I'm not sure it was her from far away in the silhouette, but in the close-up, when they when they, when they come up, up the hill and you see the thighs there, I'm like, oh, those are her thighs.
1: <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. You're right. Those bare thighs is Scotty. <laughs>
0: Is that ever brought up before, or is
1: this like right it was never brought up before. It was hated by the fans. And the comic series that was written to pick up after part five, the continuing voyages of the 1701A, by issue two, the writer, Peter David, one of my favorite writers, had already had the talk between Uhura and Scotty where Uhura said, I hope you didn't misunderstand what I was doing in Sick Bay. And Scotty goes, It was just us being two old friends. Uh- <laughs> Oh, I love it. I love it. Yes. The things I remember from 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah, let's erase that from
2: history. All I know is, like I said, it, Climax would piffle away, and you'd think, okay, well, this is what the movie's really about. And when we finally see God, and they shoot him with a Klingon phaser, and he's just an alien that blows up, they beam Kirk up, and he has to face Claw. Claw, instead of kicking his ass or having a, a fight scene, or we finally see the real villain, just mumbles, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for saving your life after this movie? i'll tell you the only apology i wanted to hear was from shatner at that
1: point i'm like really you have nothing in the bag at all do you yeah the ending was really abysmal i i mean the end where they're having the dinner with the klingons again it sets up the peace that comes later but it wasn't intentional and it's just so anticlimactic let me ask one question about god so kirk goes why does god Need a starship. And so immediately God decides, I'm going to kill you all. Why does he give up the ruse so easily? It's like, couldn't he give <laughs> an explanation? Right. Yeah. Couldn't he at least lie a little better? I mean, he's there going, I am one God, many names. Why does God need a starship? Oh, crap.
0: <laughs> you got me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now
1: I'm going to kill you.
0: So, Stuart, Arnie, For the sake of consistency, I am asking, do you recommend Star Trek V, The Final Frontier? Stuart. As a connoisseur of bad
2: films, I think there's about 20 minutes of real howlingly good stuff. If you like Star Trek and you love these characters, just avert your eyes. Because you do not want to see these people shamed. And I mean shamed to the core by Shatner's hubris. You don't want to see it. But if you just want to laugh, it rivaled Trek 4 in terms of belly laughs. That's for sure.
0: Arnie.
1: At one point, Claw is talking about Kirk and goes, he's good. He was watching a different movie than me. (laughs) At another point, Spock said, were we having a good time? And I literally shouted at my scream, no. <laughs> Do I recommend this movie? When I saw this movie for the fourth time in theaters, I don't know why, but I was chewing about five or six sticks of dentine gum. And being a youth... <laughs> I spat out this wad of gum and proceeded to mold a Klingon bird of prey out of the chewed gum on the armrest of my movie theater chair to leave for the next patron. I would rather chew that gum today (laughs) than see this movie again. So no, I don't recommend it, really.
0: (laughs) And I do not recommend this movie. I think I'd rather watch an episode of The Snorks again (laughs) and watch this movie ever again i knew this movie was bad after the first time i saw it i'm watching it now because we're doing the series but even if this one is on cable i don't watch it i just don't like it this movie is not good
1: I want to say to all the listeners, though, despite the fun we've had talking about this movie, I do not consider this movie to be that good kind of bad where you can watch it and laugh because while there are some howler scenes like Uhura's Naked Dance. Yes, or Kirk battling the Catwoman. I love that. (laughs) I don't even find Kirk battling the Catwoman all that funny. Most of this movie, I was (laughs) bored and I just was not happy, and it just became a deepening depression as this movie continued. And I started off thinking, maybe I was wrong. Maybe this movie isn't that bad. It is. This is the movie, remember I said Stewart staged an intervention? It was this movie he used to break me up with Star Trek. It was as if Star Trek had cheated on me if it was my girlfriend. <laughs> yeah. I
2: definitely was giving him the talk, yep.
1: And this was the movie you held up and said, you're a fan of this? And, <laughs> I mean, this was the talk we had in 1989. <laughs> no, it's not so bad, it's good. It's so bad, it's deplorable. It's Matrix 2 and 3 level bad. It's You don't want it in your house, even if you own the whole series bad. <laughs> so no, I don't recommend it
0: yeah I got that alright so if you're enjoying our podcast on Star Trek I invite you all to please visit our website www.nowplayingpodcast.com and download our other reviews of other movies Star Trek Friday the 13th and other movies not related to any of our retrospective series if you have any comments or questions please give us an email at show at com, and you can discuss our reviews and the movies in general that we do review on this series and others on our forums and a link to that forum can can be found on our homepage.
1: Now Brock? Yes. Would it be okay if in honor of this movie we end this podcast as they end the movie and sing a three-part verse of row 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 your boat? I was
0: hoping you'd say that.
2: <laughs> it's highly illogical, but <laughs>
0: let's do it. Row 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 your boat. Gently, down, row, the merrily, gently merrily, down the stream Merrily, 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 merrily Life row, is row, but a dream Row, row, row down the stream
2: Merrily, merrily, merrily The series better Life is but a dream Row, row, row your boat Gently down Okay, we're done, right?
0: Live long and prosper Space the final frontier. These are the continuing voyages of the starship Enterprise. Their ongoing mission to explore strange new worlds. To seek out new life forms and new civilizations. To boldly go where no man has gone before. Thank you for joining us for this installment of Now Playing's Look Back at all of the films in the Star Trek series. Be sure to come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com every Friday from now until the release of the new movie May 8th for a new installment in our Trek retrospective. Star Trek and all the Star Trek universe contains is copyright and trademark Paramount Pictures, all rights reserved. Now Playing is not affiliated with Paramount Pictures.
2: Gentlemen, your work today has been outstanding. I intend to recommend you all for promotion in whatever fleet we end up serving.
0: Now playing is a production of Ingonza Media Incorporated. Copyright 2009. All rights reserved.
2: Even then, I did not think it had hit Snork's depths. But do tell, how how like Snorks?
1: i will myself. So you guys don't relax?
0: <laughs> I'm still laughing over here because I can't believe I just said that. Um, <laughs> just came out. For those that don't know,
2: uh, I, because I don't think they lived long in pop cultural memory, Snorks were a ripoff of Smurfs.